never faced each other. They've been teammates for five years. The best against the best. Otani to Trout. Baseball wins tonight. Matchup we've all been wanting to see. Three and two from Otani. He throws. Trout strikes out swinging. Otani championship and on this night the great Shohei Otani in Japan just a little bit better than Mike Trout and USA what an ending to an all-time tournament we got to see what we came to see and Shohei Otani got it done it's the morning show Sportsnet 590 fan Justin and Ailish. and there's a few moments in sports like last night where you stop what you're doing and you think this is this is a moment that you can't really script any better. And I sat there and I watched that final few pitches, Shohei versus Mike Trout, which we kind of like jokingly teed up yesterday. Dan Schulman said, hey, this could happen. J.P. Morosi had tweeted it out saying, oh, you know, wouldn't it be crazy if ninth inning comes down and Shohei versus Mike Trout and... I jokingly said, hey, the winner doesn't play for the Angels anymore. It's the Angels World <laughs> he did Series. You did say that. And the stars aligned, the tarot cards were pulled, and we saw the two best baseball players. What are they calling him? Cap- America's captain versus Japan's captain, head to head to finish in a meaningful showdown. And that was, I honestly, listening to it this morning, I still have chills about how crazy cool of a moment that was last night. You couldn't have scripted a better moment. I mean, and and the context of their careers too, like, yeah, Shohei Otani, you could make an argument he's the greatest baseball player ever, but it's all happened in the absence of success. And Mike Trout has been, that's been the story of his career. Can't mm-hmm. get himself in a big moment. And the only big moment these two guys have really had, or the biggest moment mm-hmm. these guys have had, Outside of an Angels jersey, outside of Major League Baseball, against each other, you could not script it better. And the outcome was, yeah, it's not a home run. It's not like, it's not, um, maybe not what the United States fans were looking for. But a swinging strikeout from Otani throwing 100 plus on the mound to get Trout swinging. Uh, Unbelievable, unbelievable Mm -hmm. finish to an unbelievable baseball tournament. Like, I went back and rewatched because I wanted to live in that moment one more time. It was outstanding to see. I'm so glad that we got, got that finish that felt like we never were going to get with some incredible games like Mexico coming out of nowhere, us not even watching Japan in the Western Hemisphere at any time that was appropriate, and them coming in here and living up to the hype, Shohei having his moment where he goes into the bullpen a few times during the game. Like, it was teased, right? The drama of him the running drama. back and forth was amazing. The drama. And you're trying to size up the U.S. Yep. batting order. And then the wh- tweets are coming next. out where, you know, everyone that's there is thinking, okay, here, actually, it'll line up where Mike Trout will be uh, batting in the ninth inning and Shohei might come in. And then there's that moment of suspense where the end of the eighth happens and they put the camera on Shohei and he's just sitting, waiting. 
And then they come back from commercial break and he's on the mound. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, he's actually going to do this. And that's what I, I didn't know if it was like a strategic thing, if they were just trying to intimidate. I don't know. I, I was intimidated. I was, I, I don't know. We heard that he might come in relief. But it was it was scripted. It was planned was all along. Crazy. He was doing the ninth inning. If they had a lead, he was coming in. I think it seemed the entire time. But watching Otani just sit there in the in the bullpen and Darvish behind him warming up, it's like menacing. United States not getting anything. Yeah, I I don't think I've seen a more menacing bullpen in my life than Shohei sitting and you Darvish behind him um, throwing to a, a catcher back there. Like it was the scenes were amazing, and it wasn't like the greatest game. It wasn't a game like we saw. Over the weekend where it was just like thrillers, nonstop, comebacks, lead changes, all this crazy stuff happening. That game wasn't that. And it was that was part of it. Like we didn't know exactly what we we're going to see. Japan's kind of the unknown to a certain extent. I can't believe they, I guess, in the end, outslugged the American teams to win that game. It wasn't really what I was expecting. But once you once the the it all started to line up where it was going to be Otani and or and Trout if Otani was coming in and then them coming back from commercial and seeing him come out it was just like wow we are going to have an incredible moment and it definitely delivered and I like living in that moment and you pull up Twitter and it felt like everybody in the collective sports world got a moment to watch that together and sports are just sports are the best. We all, all like, I don't think many people had a vested interest before the World Baseball Classic. Personally, it's the first time I've ever watched it. It's going to come back in 2026. I can't wait. Count, get the countdown going. Can we do it every other year, not but every third year? But I years? think that maybe that's why it's so special because it is every couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. But everybody watched that moment together and realized how miraculous this script or this this lineup at the very end of a game with such high stakes came together. You don't get to see moments like that in sports often. So the fact that we got it, it lived up to the hype, the anticipation. We're going to talk to John Morosi today at 730. The perfect person it to talk to. It just couldn't be better. Like I, I can't wait to speak to this man because mm-hmm. he was there on the field. He and he, he was the bang, thing up. He was banging the drum before I even wanted to know about the drum. Mm-hmm. The, I didn't know. I didn't want to know the drum existed. We were on other things. We're doing other stuff. We're not ready for the World Baseball Classic. He starts talking about it beforehand, saying it's going to be all, this great thing, and we're just like, yeah, we'll watch Canada, whatever. We'll see what happens. And he was right. Mm. He was dead right. This thing was. Is it the best sporting event of the calendar year so far? I know we're only three months in, but yes. it probably is. I don't. It's not World Cup in the the you know the grand scheme of things. It's probably bigger than the World Cup for the United States. Not not the United States. Definitely it was the for World Cup. Like, definitely for Japan. In this calendar year. The cal- no, it was last year. Yeah, okay. it was in November. But like the things that we've covered, things that we've recently mm-hmm. talked about, like it's not that. But it is closer to that than I ever imagined. Like it means a lot to certain countries. I heard a stat that over ninety seven percent of J- Japanese televisions that have been turned on were for that, that semifinal mm-hmm. game. Like, that is crazy. It is. Like, it means... Think about it. Like, this is... Like, Ichiro, massive. I don't know how Ichiro and Otani compare. But Shohei Otani is the rock star among rock stars in Japan right now. And he just delivered a decisive moment to beat the United States and to give Japan the sort of athletic triumph that would compare to golden goal here mm-hmm. in canada maybe it felt felt bigger uh, it didn't feel bigger for me but in japan it might have been i don't know how you could be bigger watched baseball I, like, game we, of we, all time we will be hard pressed to see is it 
Oh, I'm sure it will be. We'll, be hard, pressed, we'll be hard pressed to see a bigger moment in our lifetime for Canadian sports than Sidney Crosby's overtime winner. Yeah. Japan will be hard pressed to ever top that. Shohei mm-hmm. being Shohei, the moment that it was, the script that it was, uh, just honestly, that's like a that'll be the defining moment for a country's athletic. No, some people in that country's athletic uh, watching experience, right? Like that will be unless the Shohei moment. plays for a different be, team. <laughs> what do you mean? Like unless he doesn't play for the Angels one day and he wins a World no, Series. No, it won't be bigger. It, no, it won't be. No, it won't no be chance. bigger at all. But I mean, like that. That's for the next ja- for time Japan, it won't for be Japan bigger. that you may get to see him in unless it's twenty twenty six. But until then, we put him back on the Angels, and we all think last night, how great would it be to see both of these players play for a contending team? Uh, yeah, yeah, that definitely. Would be really nice. I mean, if you're if you're Major League Baseball, and of course Major League Baseball puts on this event, you can't really do anything about it. But boy, would you be in a better spot if you could get this guy in playoff games. The back and forth, mm-hmm. the 102 out of the pen uh, after several at bats and productive ones at that earlier in the game. Like there's a there is something here that they cannot they're not scratching the surface with like something completely unique and different that they just cannot feature themselves unless it's an international competition. And guess what? We only saw really two games of Japan. Were we really into just one? Probably like it was this fleeting moment. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we're ever going to see a moment that's going to really compare if, if Shohei is ever going to get to the spot where he can do that on the world series stage, this was the world stage for sure, but not the world series stage. But even that, I don't think you can top to the people it meant the most to it'll never mean more than that. No, you won't. I don't think you can replicate a moment like that ever. It was truly extraordinary. All of these situations that had to come down to that final out. It's like, Disney movie, Netflix documentary, Where's Drive to Survive? Hopefully they followed the WBC and full swing. <laughs> yeah. I hope you were there at this at this week at this weekend and this week and this tournament because I gotta watch the behind the scenes of this. And show hey, we did see a little bit of the behind the scenes where he's got the pump up speech mm-hmm. beforehand and he's talking about how you can't admire these guys any longer because you can't surpass them if you still God, admire so them. Good. Like captain level stuff performance in the end, backing it up, words like walking it, talking it, everything. Like Shohei is an absolute rock star. Even Trey Turner couldn't top the Japanese. Tied the World Baseball Classic record with five home runs. As soon as, like he had a home run yesterday, and I'm like, all right, this is it. This guy is, something's going on with Trey Mm -hmm. Turner in the last two weeks. He is absolutely electric. Would have been MVP. And then Shohei strolls in. But that was, you know, there was certainly a moment where Japan looked out of it. But uh, that's the beauty of this tournament. Strange things have happened. There's been incredible comebacks. That Shout out to Trey Turner for a pretty damn impressive tournament Yeah, as well. I think Phillies fans probably pretty happy because that Kyle Schwarber at bat too was electric. He hit like five at home bat. runs, yeah. just had to straighten one of them out. It was like the best at bat, that 10 pitch one to pull it to 3-2 and you're like, is it going to get better? And then obviously Shohei. It, Mike get, Trout it got gets better. better. I, and that was the one thing that I was thinking about after is like, what's the best superlative to attach to that at bat? Like the final one. Is it the most memorable at bat ever? Is it the most legendary? Is it the highest stakes at bat ever? Like, and I mean at bat because the result of the at bat is what you remember. We remember Jose Bautista's home run. We remember mm-hmm. Joe Carter's home run. We remember game winning hits. We remember game winning strikeouts. 
I guess we remember the result, but that at bat, you remember the at bat. You remember it because it was Otani versus Trout. Like, is that the most? Is that the most legendary at bat in history? Is it the at bat you'll remember the most in your lifetime? I don't remember the pitches that precede the bat flip. I don't know if I'll remember all the pitches that precede the strikeout, but I do remember. 100 from Shohei, there and I'm was thinking, one right oh my down god! The middle, I remember too. three swinging strikes for Show or for Mike Trout. And by the way, I think this stat from Codify Baseball: Mike Trout had three swinging strikes in only 24 of his 6,174 career MLB plate appearances. Mm-hmm. That is 0.38 percent of his career uh, at bats in Major League Baseball. I guess this is not Major League Baseball. But he doesn't, no one does to Mike Trout what Shohei Otani just did. Only 24 times in his career has he swung the bat three times and missed three times to strike out. For me, it's hard to use like the context, my generational knowledge of how long I've watched baseball, of where that ranks. But I would say that is a once in a lifetime at bat. That might be it. Once in a lifetime. That is that is the that is the once in a lifetime at bat. Everything you just said with Shohei, Mike Trout, the fact that he doesn't ever have three swinging strikeouts, the fact that Shohei came in for the first time ever in the World Baseball Classic history to close a game and he wasn't wasn't pitching. And I don't think he has a save in his career. He once came out of um in relief in twenty sixteen, so different. To do this, winning the MVP award against a teammate, the two best, the biggest faces. It is, it's truly once in a lifetime. That's, that's the best way to, to put it. We'll never see something like that again. I think that's better than anything that I came up with. I think my most apt one was the most legendary at bat of all time. But there's going to be something that when we look back, there's going to be an incredible at bat that we forget about that was in, you know. I don't know. Honestly. I think the, the text result, line will know. <laughs> let, uh, I think the text line, we're going to ask John Morosi about it as well uh, at 730. Um, yeah, I want to know, like, what compares to that? Again, separating the result, because the result is what's legendary. Mm -hmm. This is the at-bat was legendary. And I, but I like the way you put it. I think once in a lifetime is, I mean, that that makes it stand alone, right? If it's a once in a lifetime at-bat, I don't know if we'll ever see that again. Maybe we'll see these two in a big spot again. That would mean they'd both have to be liberated, or at least one would have to be liberated for Anaheim. It would have to be the final out of a World Series. That's the only, that's the only way. Because and it, wouldn't, it still wouldn't be the of, same. Of the 6,174 career MLB plate appearances for Mike Trout, none of them been, have even been close to matching no. the stakes that that one had. Um, I want to read a tweet from Josh, our buddy Josh, Jay Santos, 590. Big Twitter guy this morning. He brought up a really good point. Um, you know what I didn't miss at all during last night's game? A pitch clock. Having the time to let that drama sink in was such an integral part of what made that moment special. I agree. Yeah, did I, did I mention that yesterday or the day before? I'm not really sure when I was kind of like, uh, I don't, I'm not, I don't know about uh, the pitch clock. We haven't even seen it in like full MLB action. But imagine like last seen it. night having that factor. Yeah, do I want Shohei rushing or do I want him throwing his absolute best pitch to try and get Trout out? There was just a weight of the moment that, it would have felt so different. And that game was three hours, 45 minutes. I didn't care. But It could have been 10 hours. <laughs> a three-hour, 45-minute epic, it's appropriate in that moment. Mm-hmm. It's not appropriate on June 10th in Oakland 
when you're the Toronto Blue Jays. Like, uh, I think if we can, and they're going to be tweaks. Apparently, they're announcing some little, mm-hmm. you know, some clarifications on some of the on some of the rulings. I would be perfectly okay with them scrapping the pitch clock in the playoffs. They probably won't do that because it's just, you can't have I don't two sets you, of rules. I don't think for... you can. You can't have your cake and eat it yeah. too. You've got to decide what's more important. Is it breezing through games in the regular season or is it amplifying the drama mm-hmm. in the postseason? Maybe the drama won't be affected. But is Shohei that sharp? Sharp enough to get Mike Trout out in the manner that he did to induce three swinging strikes if he's got to go fast? I don't know. I don't think we'll ever know that. No. Maybe we'll ask John about that it too. It was perfectly untouched. I love the way it went. The stakes were as high as it could be. The drama, I could feel it through my TV. I actually know someone that was at that game mm. and living through their Instagram stories. I didn't post enough. I'm like, I'm going to message them today and be like, hey, tell me everything about this experience as a fan because it was slammed. And this person is a Canadian friend, doesn't have like any stakes in the game other than baseball uh, fan. And I just, it would have been one of those things that, you remember forever that you were there for that moment. So World Baseball Classic was a classic. We saw last night as a a once in a lifetime finish to a game and to a tournament that really blew me away. I'm really glad that we got to cover it because I don't know, as a casual fan, if we weren't, you know, broadcasters talking about this, how I would, how in depth I would have been on this. Maybe I would watch the last couple of games, but being able to tune in to this experience and learn about players, learn about the pride that a lot of these people have in their country. Like it just, it really blew me away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. 2026. I, I probably would have missed, a lot definitely would have missed a lot more of it had we not been covering it to the extent that we did. I mean, we were kind of nibbling around it when Canada mm-hmm. was playing because it frankly wasn't all that impressive and they didn't have their best stuff and they didn't have their guys. And it was frankly a little disappointing in that in that way. But this thing was a snowball. Like it gained momentum as it went. The quarterfinals to the semis, Japan showing up. And winning both of their games here stateside, like it was, it, it could not have been better. And the final moment could not have been scripted any better. So Japan wins in 2026, 2020, sorry, 2006, 2009. And then again in 2023, United States were the defending champs and they are ripped from the trophy or they get the little medals. Kind of like that too. Did you see the uh, last thing on it? Mm-hmm. Do you see the quote from Trout? This was like the funnest ten days of my life. He said, <sighs> and he goes back to words. Truer words haven't been spoken. Yeah, it was it was cool to see him in a big spot. Mm-hmm. I, he was. Uh, we're definitely missing out on that too because I don't know. Maybe he was he was kind of like grimacing and smiling. Like he's a player that you need to see. He he shouldn't be a bit part in the MLB in terms of like his role in the most important things. He should be in important moments just as much as Shohei Otani should be in important moments. But the Angels are the Angels, unfortunately. Oh, a beautiful viewing experience. And on the other screen, wow, wow, wow! The Leafs and the Islanders, a dud, a seven-two loss on the island. The first time that they've allowed seven goals in. Long Island in a long time, but I believe it was their most lopsided loss of the entire season. Um, a pretty bad showing for the Maple Leafs um, with the stakes as high as we tried to tee them up as well, set them up. There's the rivalry. John Tavares returning to the island, which never gets old. The fans are always fired up. Is your team going to elevate? Are the, is your team going to play for your captain? You obviously know what goes on there. Mm, not really. No. Where's the fire? Where's the intensity? That team you're playing against, and we've seen this now, over the last couple of weeks, 
the teams that are playing for something have steamrolled and outplayed the Maple Leafs who are playing really for nothing other than home ice advantage. I'm just seeing a team that is complacent against teams that are scrapping their way in. And it's dangerous to play teams that are scrapping their way in because look what happens. You can yeah. just turn it on. The Leafs are an unmade bed right now. Like this, it's not, it's not pretty. They were like oddly really frustrated early. It's like unsettling the lines in terms of like what's real and what's fixed and what's been installed into the system, what we can expect in the playoffs. Like it's just kind of scattered and all Mm -hmm. over the place and disorganized and haphazard. It just seems very, it was a strange night for those reasons, but that's kind of been the story of the last month or so or the, the beginning of March. But last night it was just like frustrations started. Like you throw, everything's disorganized and then you throw frustration into the mix. And then what kind of cocktail that gives you. It was not a pretty one. And Sheldon Keefe like being really, really frustrated on the bench. Mitch Marner yapping and slamming his stick a little bit. And then pulling the goalie early and immediately getting scored on. Like it was just a bad scene all around. Uh, Not an impressive performance in the slightest from the Maple Leafs, and you're right. Like you, you prefaced it with the John Tavares thing. Like, shouldn't this be a big game? Shouldn't this be something you get up for? Shouldn't you try to like really put your foot in the ground, a thousand percent, lift up your captain a little bit? Yep. And we heard the boos every time he touched the puck. Guess what? We didn't hear, hear enough booing. John Tavares <laughs> didn't touch the puck enough. Like, and uh, he has looked like that for he, the last little, little yeah, while here. Yeah, he has. And we talk about like, you know, the taxation of the season or the attritive aspect of the season and where he might be at. He took that week off mm-hmm. and where his game is and where certain like Mark Giordano too. Like, it just seems like there are some, I don't know if they're hitting a wall, whether it's malaise or fatigue, but I think there's a wall there and they're rebounding off of it because a lot of these guys haven't looked particularly sharp. And I think last night was the culmination of that. Thankfully, Tampa is also hitting whatever this lull, this malaise is, because they lose in regulation last night to the Montreal Canadiens. So Maple Leafs are kind of saved a little bit there in terms of their battle for home ice. But there's still something to play for. Like, you don't just get to mail it in until the end of April when you get to turn it back on. And, yeah, the line combinations, once again, have been a point of discussion. And we'll talk to Kipper about that at 7. But... There's more there's more than that. Like there's there's obviously a disconnect with the players on the offensive side of it. The defensive lineup looked scary bad without TJ Brody. Yeah. Just like this house guy of, house of cards without the stabilizer back there. But the goals that the Islanders scored were mostly and they scored seven of them, so not every single one, but mostly just mental mistakes. Turnovers like it was like a a pastry shop out there. Turnover after turnover after turnover. Okay. And those are like those are mental mistakes. Those aren't being outworked. Those aren't being out hustled to the I'll, corner. I'll push back on that a little bit. Because how do you force mistakes? How do you force bad decisions? Well, they were out for check. You get for check. Uh, so two and, sides to this. Yeah. Is, is, is certainly the Maple Leafs look like they cannot handle a team that four checks really hard. Which is and that's gonna happen in the Tampa playoffs. Bay and an issue in the Stanley Cup playoffs. For sure. So you're getting out for checked, which leads to turnovers. But you know, you you should be at a level of hockey player that can sustain some forecheck if you're going to play in the highest stakes in a month and a half away. First goal, lack of communication. Second goal, Lilligren, Deer, and headlights. This is my notes. Uh, goal four, all these guys standing at the blue line. Like, they were just, like, tiny little things that snowball, as we've used that word already, into something bigger. And 
that's not a championship caliber team. Making decisions under duress. That's what you have to do in the playoffs, right? Like you have to Mm -hmm. be clean in moments where it's difficult to be clean. And they were not clean last night. The Mm -hmm. David Camp thing, the Liljegren stuff, uh, Zach Aston Reese on the board. I don't know who you want to assign blame to on that one in particular where Camp like kind of got it under duress and just threw it at Zach Aston Reese's feet. And it was in the back of the net like immediately. The one you talked about goal four, you have it, uh, where Mitch Marner, they're like flying in like it's a, power play. I, I, it was very strange. And, and Morgan Riley's just like full speed and if it's the pass isn't perfect, it's going the other way. And the pass, guess what? Was not perfect. No yeah. one stopped on it and it's a clear chance the other way and that's basically curtains because it was a real letdown after Toronto did work back into the game uh to get the second goal and make it a one goal game. It's just all around. You're right. Turnover central. Like it was just it seemed like part of it was or a lot of it had to do with what the Islanders were doing. Mm-hmm. But then the Leafs just kept doing it themselves, shooting themselves in the foot. And when you compound those two issues, you get seven, two games. Yeah. The forechecking, having a team that plays hard against you and puts pressure on you, that's what you're going to have to play in high stakes for seven game series multiple times to win the Stanley Cup. So if you can't handle it now, that's a major point of focus over the next couple of weeks. And yes, there's there's chemistry issues happening right now. You're not with without your best defenseman, Ilya mm-hmm. Samsonov. Didn't have a prolific evening as well. So no, he looked bad. So all of these things combined, yeah, it's, it's a very lopsided loss. But the tangible things is they look like they got, I don't know, run over by a team that knows how to forecheck. And a, and like kind of like a battle-tested sort of playoff team, like a team that maybe plays the closest thing to playoff hockey throughout the regular season. Uh, I don't know if that's much of a leap. I don't know if that's a leap at all. Like that, the Islanders are kind of... They're a bit of a throwback or they're a bit of they're the team that plays and gets worse results in the regular season because they play more like postseason in the mm-hmm. regular season. And that's kind of a hard standard to keep up. And it's a standard that you get up for and you pr- can provide when the Toronto Maple Leafs are in town. Like I-, I can see how that would be how that would work. It's just tough to do that for 82 games because it's tough to play a playoff hockey for even the 26, 28 games that you need in order to win a Stanley Cup. Uh, the Islanders are a tough matchup in a lot of ways for that reason, but that is a playoff matchup and they failed the playoff test. I will say just in, we've been talking, I got a little pushback on, you know, oh, the sample size for March and how bad they've been, the worst expected goals. And I get that there, it's not like the perfect sample and something to really glean from, but there's evidence that it's like, yeah, you have to take these things with a grain of salt because, they were third best last night, mm. but by the numbers, you could say, oh, maybe they deserve to win. No, no. They didn't deserve to win that game. Isn't the, there that deserve-o-meter the thing? I don't know what the deserve-o-meter says, but like in terms of like expect a goal, shot share, all those things, it actually looked better than previous games, but the eye test would tell you that did not look as good as mm. many of the games we've seen so far in March. But the biggest thing from that and the grain of salt and the context and the eye test and pairing everything together... Did you like John Tavares last night? Did I see John Tavares last night? He was an absolute rock exactly. star from an, an analytical perspective. What? But no, he was not. In what sense? He, if like like j- what if, stat? What stat? Let me pull it up for you quickly. In the face-off here. circle? Uh, no, he was losing face-offs. So, Weren't you hearing the cheers all the no, time for course. the face-offs? No, of course. So that's where my question is. What okay, did he do so, well? Maple Leafs on ice for naturalstattrick.com last night. We are loading. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um... This the is top, where numbers and eyes the sometimes top, differ. The top possession guy last night was William Nylander, a 31-8 to 8 
shot attempt differential in his favor, almost 80%, William Nylander. That is, I got a I got a post game clip to play from him. That is normally a it's, it's a brilliant night. Like you dominated, you played in the wow. offensive zone all night. John Tavares, who we played with, just behind him at seventy three percent, nineteen to seven shot share, uh, ten to four actual shot share at five on five. Sheesh. The goal differential was uh, one nothing for the Islanders with Tavares on the ice. But I came away from that game thinking, okay, I got to see Tavares' numbers because he was brutal. And then you see that, and you're just like. Okay, that doesn't add up, right? So you have to take all these things with a grain of salt. But who are you kidding if you're saying that the month of March has been as good as previous months for the Maple Leafs? Maybe October on par, but November, December, January, February, a lot better for the Maple Leafs than it's been so far in March. And that is concerning because you've made all these moves. You're trying to gear up for the postseason. You're failing tests against teams that have to play with some urgency in Colorado maybe Ottawa to a certain extent, and now the New York Islanders. Like, it's not good right now. they got to settle things down. They've got to install some things that are actually going to be permanent, lay permanent roots. Last night was full blender again after Austin Matthews starts with two middle six forwards. Like, it's there are a lot of things right now that are just unsettled, not working, and they really have to start putting some, per, lay some real bricks down some things that you're going to depend on mm-hmm. in the postseason. And right now it just seems like it's it's full scatter mode for them. So the lineup changes pregame. Obviously, we talked about this yesterday, but Nylander is playing with Bobby McMahon and Lafferty. Then third period comes around, Nylander playing with Tavares and Bunting, and there's the blender mode. But you mentioned Nylander having the best numbers of the the game, both sides, or just the Leafs at least? By one metric. Yeah, yeah. Possession okay. numbers best for uh, probably in the entire game, I'm going to assume. Well, yes, none, by, by a pretty wide margin. I don't think that Nylanders looked like the Nylander that we gave an award to post-Oscars show for best supporting actor right. as of late. He was asked about his game as well, and he's not happy with it. Yeah, I think... Uh... Today was better for for my offensive pace. I think uh, more 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 so than normal. Just didn't get any anything out of it. But uh, previous games just haven't been uh, skating and playing like myself. So uh, everybody had some some slow uh, slow games during the season. So I haven't been happy about my game. I've been pissed off about it. So uh, yeah, it happens. You just gotta take yourself out of it. I haven't been happy about my game. I've been pissed off about it. I haven't been skating. I haven't been feeling like myself. I mean. Good for you for for acknowledging it, calling it out. Probably doesn't help that you were put with, you know, McMahon. But I like McMahon, honestly. I like that kid. But, like, I I think Well, him and Bobby McMahon were one of, or two of three forwards that, or two players that weren't on for a goal against us. So we praised Nylander over the last little while about being able to just kind of be a plug-and-play guy, right? Not being phased by the players he's playing against or with, sorry. Um, He was a, he's been moved around and a great supporting cast member. Maybe didn't look like it the last week or two and he's acknowledged that as well could have to do with line shuffling could just happen to be a slump that needle William Nylander goes through every season um, but it's not lining up with a good slump for John Tavares and an offensive stretch where the Maple Leafs are not generating enough opportunities to score goals and to lead games and you brought that set up yesterday where they're not generating was it yesterday or two days ago not generating what offensive opportunities yeah, I mean, it's just, it just hasn't been prolific for by any be- means I, I, in March. And we talk, we could talk about March and the start to March and whatever, but it, it has not been good and they have to, I guess we're, we, what we have to start talking about is like the reasons why. Why hasn't it been good? It's because they play with different players every night. I really so why, think that's So why are it. they playing with different players every night? 
I don't want to like tinfoil hat this, but I, I keep circling back to 91. Sure. And it could be 91. It could be tr- like now Austin Matthews is saying, I want to play with Yarncroke. Yeah, Yarncroke's a good player, but he's like publicly being like, I want to play with this guy. Sure. Does it have to do with wanting to play with him or does it have to do with maybe wanting to play with somebody for more than one night in a row? <laughs> maybe that's I, it. I don't know. There's probably a, a 10% chance I mean, that that has to do with that too. And maybe he knows that campaigning through the media is pretty good. Maybe he wants to play with Cali Yarncroke and, uh, and uh, Play Mitch with Martyr. somebody for two, but three I, games I in a row. I completely agree with that. So why are they doing all this? Is it because they got new bodies? Well, they don't, they don't have new bodies anymore. The trade deadline was like a, a year ago, it they feels don't, like. They don't have new bodies that are going to affect the top six, do they? They yep. brought in Ryan O'Reilly. He's hurt right now. Sam Lafferty's not a top six forward. Mm-hmm. Like the top six should not be in this complete state of flux. And I think part of it is like, we got to figure out something on the second line because it's, it didn't work last mm-hmm. time. It hasn't worked of late. It hasn't worked at times this season. And where's John Tavares at right now with his game? I'm frankly concerned. If we're doing like concern index, things that really that are kind of bothering me when I'm thinking about the Tampa Bay Lightning and the prospects of having success in the postseason, it's the second line. It's like this dream of, oh, we'll throw Matthew Nyes up there with Jason Buchla said yesterday, Austin Matthews, oh, he'll fix the second line. I don't, I think you're, that is wishful thinking if you're expecting Matthew Nyes to come in and do something like that. Is it, oh, he's got to play with Ryan O'Reilly because we got to move into the wing and we got to recreate what happened against the Buffalo Sabres and we can't see that because Ryan O'Reilly's not around for the next couple weeks. I'm not really sure. But I don't know it, the chicken or the egg. Why you're doing all this with the with the lines? What's like the genesis behind it? What's the impetus? What's driving this? What's bothering you if you're Sheldon Keefe in terms of the lineups and what's making him unsettled? I feel like it's the problem at the second line where he just doesn't know what to do with it. Mm. Is it lending Marner to him? Does Marner even work there? Is Marner so much better with Matthews that you can't afford to do it? Can Matthews play with two bottom six or middle six guys and hopefully you can just stack the deck on the second line? I think that's all the stuff that's going through Sheldon Keefe's head right now because, frankly, Maybe you're I'm worried about 91. too much, though. Like, give, not you, Sheldon Keefe. Like too I, oh, much I think, tinkering, so, I think for too sure much adjustment, and we've this is not a new conversation. I he's, feel like we've had this for the last the two weeks. Opening the door for frustration, and the players look frustrated now, and they're probably frustrated with their own performance. But you're telling me there's a zero percent factor that they're frustrated coming into locker room with new lines and having no time to create chemistry. At some point, it's not fun anymore, yeah. isn't it? In my limited experience, it is not fun to feel like you're learning. On the fly. That was the reason for one of the, the goals last night. It was a miscommunication between uh, Tavares and McCabe on the faceoff where they both haven't played four on four and they're both covering the same guy, leave a guy open back door and goes in. Yeah, that's what, one was small it thing. I, I kind of thought it was Lilligren and, and McCabe and either Nonetheless, way, it's the like three you haven't out played of four together. of them on the ice were, were figuring there it out. There haven't been many overlapping minutes. I could get you that right now yeah. if you wanted to no, between those the stats three. stats there, stats guy. I'm just saying, like, the, what how, what have they shared a combined 15 minutes together? Yeah, yeah there's probably going to be some bumps. And and Tavares, like, yeah, I mean, you can't have, like, full-out cohesion with certain defensemen, I especially understand. new In ones. A four-on-four but Tavares has have got to much. have guys that he can play with up front at least. All I'm saying is it doesn't look like a well-oiled machine. It looks like a lot of pieces that need to be put together, and we're seeing the same kind of thing every night as of late with experimentation. Uh, we're going to talk to Kipper at 7, and we'll talk about this. And he's been also addressing this on Real Kipper and Born, how to, yeah, get these guys acclimated. But, you know, this isn't three days after the trade deadline anymore. We're at the end of March, basically. 
What happens after March? The playoffs are right around the corner. Like You want to feel like you've built some momentum before Tampa Bay rolls in and four checks the hell out of you and your defense core and Gustafson looks like he doesn't belong in the back half of the ice, right? There's There's a lot of things to figure out here. It wasn't a great showing. It was probably a really big letdown for, you know, a captain's return to his old city. Samsonov, who had been putting together some really good performance, we didn't talk, talk about him yet. Um, I guess he's just going home now. His wife's having a baby, mm-hmm. so we might not see him So this the rest week. of the trip is going to be Matt Murray and Joe Wall. We actually have him talking about that. I won't play that. Um, Samsonov talking about, you know, the game and what went wrong and then thinking about his wife. I didn't just play a good game today. Uh, scored six goals because his guys working hard today. That's uh, just my comment for a game. Uh, and uh, I want to forget about this game, you know, this, uh, this history right now. Uh, I have a more important things at home right now than uh, think about this game. All right. So off he I mean, goes. He's not lying. No, no, of course and, and he's that, not lying. And he's a human with a family, and his wife's going to have a baby probably today. And that's necessary stress, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think the the issue isn't the necessary stress. The issue is the unnecessary yes. stress. I think that Sheldon Keefe is bringing to this this team right now mm-hmm. by throwing everything into complete flux every night. And some of it is born out of necessity. Would they have been better with TJ Brody last night? Yes, he wasn't available. Yeah. So you got to do what you got to do. Would you be better with Ryan O'Reilly? Sure, you'd feel a little bit more comfortable about what you were going to bring the playoffs if he was available. But he's not available. So you got to do what you got to do. But sometimes you can't change everything. Just tweak the smaller things or introduce mm-hmm. less change over the next month, not even month, couple weeks here before the playoffs begin. They got to get settled and they got to do it in short order because the playoffs are right around the corner. How many more games do these guys have? Because it feels like we're really running out of time here. I believe it is. 12 games. 12. Hey, hey, hey. All just, right. uh, just to clear it up, Tavares, McCabe, Lilligren, overlap, five on five. 13 minutes, 34 seconds. Could you guy Excel spreadsheet, boy. Crunching the numbers over there. Crunch, 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 crunch. Dot com is a great resource. Captain Crunch over here today, crunching the numbers. Um, pulling the goalie, 5-2 with six minutes left. Not for me, but also biased. It, the puck went in the net right away, so <laughs> easy it's to just, say. Uh, uh, and that's unnecessary stress, too. Oh, we gave up another. It wasn't happening last night. I wouldn't have made that no. move, but I mean, eh, it's in the grand scheme of things, yeah, of course. who the hell cares, thing. but I wouldn't have done that. Um, Achari. And his fight with Matt Martin. I know the, the boys on Leafs Talk covered it well, but you know, Matt Martin could have literally sent him into next week. And he did a nice thing, and he kind of gave him an opportunity to fight after the hit on Brock Nelson that left him bloody, which was more Brock Nelson turning his head and in a, in a vulnerable position. That was a bad hit. Yeah, but it certainly was 50% Brock Nelson turning last second into the boards. And you mm-hmm. know, both things happened. He got yeah. all bloodied up. Noel Chari had to fight. And former Maple Leaf Matt Murray, or Matt Murray, hmm, Matt Martin, I think took it easy on him because he literally had a uh, air quote head injury a couple days ago and missed oh, the game. Oh, you think that's what happened? I just think also like, yeah, I think there's a there's a factor I was, to that. I was a little he concerned when I... He could have sent him into next I, week. I don't know. I mean, yes. I, he definitely like gained, gained a high high leverage like spot, but I don't know if Nolachari couldn't fight himself out of that. I uh, think he 
turtled a little bit. Let I, me punch I him was in the back. concerned that Achari might have like hurt himself a little bit, and they because they just fight? they stopped so abruptly. It was like I was like, where did something come happen to his shoulder or something? Like, mm. what, what was that? Like, I it was didn't like see that. it like really like stopped quickly when it didn't feel like it had to. But again, maybe that's just Matt Murray be Matt Martin rather. God, Matt, Murray. Matt Murray out there fighting. Matt Martin being a, fun, a gentleman. I'm not really <laughs> sure. Uh, I, I was when I saw it, I was like, oh, is Acharya all right? <laughs> Interesting. But I guess we'll figure it out. Then. Not a fighter. Um, all right. Well, Maple Leafs back. They're on a little road trip here. They're playing the Florida Panthers on Thursday and the Carolina Hurricanes on Saturday. All road games the rest of this week. But tonight, the Raptors back in action against the Pacers home court. And tonight's a special night, which I did not know was a real thing. Canada basketball night at Scotiabank Arena. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the Pacers are in town. they got four Canadians on their roster. We're actually going to talk to the father of Andrew Nemhard. And Ryan Nemhard. And Ryan Nemhard, who's currently playing NCAA basketball. Uh, we're going to tee that up at 8.30, a little uh, baby wake and rake afterwards. But a lot of Canadians on this team, and we've seen a lot of Canadians over the last couple of weeks um, coming through Toronto. Obviously, we saw Shea, Jamal Murray, et cetera, First, et cetera, first thing et I saw when I rolled out of bed today was Lou Dort locking up uh, Kawhi Leonard to mm-hmm. seal the game for the Oklahoma Shea, City Thunder last night. night. Shea with another big night. That's team Can- The Team Canada's are Indiana and uh, Oklahoma. Yep. Oklahoma City, and I, I, you know, I love Shea. I love Lou Dort, too. Of course. I want to love these Pacers, but just not tonight. So tonight's a special night. Um, And then coming off the heels of Canada Basketball announcing a new corporate sponsor in New Jersey's yesterday, so Sun Life will be their new corporate partner. Um, They had the, like, uh, reveal. You can check out the jerseys. They're better than the World Baseball Classic jerseys, I'll tell you that. Um, They look clean. Yes, they are. They look clean. Um, Obviously, this summer, Canadian men will head to FIBA World Cup, and that's, like, the big, or this is the big pressure point coming up. Uh, ex-Raptor Corey Joseph will be here Friday night too. There's going to be a lot of Canadian flair over the next little while. And it starts tonight with Canada basketball night, Scotiabank Arena. The Raptors have been red hot at home. Um, Seven straight wins at Scotiabank Arena. I don't know if it's just a coincidence or not, but they love playing at home. Uh, It's a great opportunity to continue that in front of a crowd that's going to be cheering on a lot of the Canadian boys here so looking forward to that one and, tonight. and we, yeah we've talked about the importance of these is it four left four game four they have 10 games left four i believe home games the next in a row. four yes oh and then their final game of the season is also at home so four games coming up here at home three of which against potential play-in uh, opponents mm-hmm. indiana's not in the play-in right now but they are two and a half games behind the chicago bulls for that last play-in spot so this is uh this is definitely game you should win. This is advantage Raptors in that you mentioned they're playing on their home court. Uh, it's a big game. All these yeah. games are big, especially the most winnable ones are big games for the Toronto Raptors here. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks rolled last night. They moved a full game ahead of the Raptors. So they can get a, gain a half game tonight with a win over Indiana. But still, they got to string together these victories. Uh, and, you know, it, it starts with Indiana. This is a big one because you have to beat the opponents that are considered lesser than at this moment. And Indiana, despite the talent on that roster, despite the can-con, the they are lesser at the moment. The Raptors need this one. They sure do. Um, before we take a break, let's play this clip, Fred, talking about Raptors home crowds because I seriously think that something special about Scotiabank Arena and the way the Raptors fans come out and propel this team to victory because seven straight, that's pretty significant. So here's Freddie talking about playing at home. You know, the, the crowd in the city will reflect what we do. So when we play like the crowd, 
and, and vice versa. So when we play our brand of basketball and we get it going in there, we got the right energy and spirit and energy and um, just that winning atmosphere, um, we, we all can build on that. And it, it goes the other way sometimes too. You know, the crowd is very anxious, so we got to do our part to put together the right type of atmosphere and, and play. And, you know, the crowd will follow suit, and it's a, it's a hard place to win when it's, when it's going good. Hard place to win. That's what you want from your your team that is a chippy team that could make uh, playoff competition real real tough if they can get through a play in. They're like they can be a dangerous team, especially how they look at Scotia Bank Arena. So re- replicating that on the road would be really nice. It would be. Uh, they're they're live tonight, seven thirty p.m. on Sportsnet One. Uh, Baltimore Orioles at the Blue Jays as well. Live at one p.m. today. Um, Opening day is just around the corner. Lots of Blue Jays excitement. Maybe we can fit that in with John Morosi at 7.30, but we got lots of WBC to talk about with him. Kipper at 7. Joe Cachario is going to join us at 8 to talk about the Raptors and Canadian basketball night here at Scotiabank Arena. And then, as we mentioned, um, the father of Andrew and Ryan Nemhard, Cloud, is going to join us at 8.30. You still have an opportunity to send in your wake and rake picks. We'll get to that afterwards. We're going to do some Dell match play picks as well. Continue our head-to-head with our FanX Cup. Mm-hmm. And hopefully not have a bad as bad of a night in the wake and rank as we did last night. Let's flush that. Let's move on. It's first 0-3 in a while. It is, and that's okay. Get them out. If you're going to lose, you might as well lose big. Yes. <laughs> uh, but on the other side of the break with the A-list, one of the best sports, fun sports. I'm going to check making, you on that. Making a return. Well, people are excited, Justin. People are excited about People Blank Sport. People Blank Sport returning this summer. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Now it's time for hey, yo. the A list. Bing bong. Bing bong. Bing bong. What's up, baby? Back in the day, Spike TV was a staple summer viewing. You just toss that one on. Spike TV was like. You know, there's a couple channels, a couple sports channels that would be like high in the rotation. But in my university house, Spike TV was probably top five in terms of getting some wear. Well, the nostalgia has paid off because a Spike TV staple is officially returning this July. Slam Ball is back with a six-week regular season and one week of playoffs starting and playing in Las Vegas. The early 2000s electric viewing experience has gotten a star group of investors and they're going back all in here on the spike ball phenomenon no slam do you say spike ball i did twice? i love spike ball but it's slam ball for me slam ball the one with trampolines sorry i just can't wait to go play spike ball in the summer this is slam ball this is the one with trampolines where everyone's bouncing around mm-hmm. and yeah, ankles are being... High flyers. Ankles are being uh, twisted and snapped, but... Twisted. They're lucky if it's only twisted. Slam ball is back. Spike ball also, I've watched on um, the summer games. What do they call that? Like, uh, the Ocho. Remember? The Ocho? Yeah, like they had like that middle yeah, that they summer got some programming. Like, they do like cottage games. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, you know, I could talk about spike ball all day. Slam ball. Slam ball's coming back. Um, if you've seen it, you know it's dunking on trampolines it's high flying it's dangerous but fun to watch it's coming back so if you grew up in the early 90s or 90s and 2000s you remember watching it 
you get an opportunity this summer. A full league mm-hmm. is coming. There are some gruesome sports, especially on Spike TV. Like Spike TV was rolling out like the Ultimate Fighter and all those yeah. things too, right? Like that was it was you know you had to, it wasn't for the faint of heart necessarily mm-hmm. Spike TV uh, or at least all their programming. But I think slam ball is the thing I have the most difficulty watching. Like I'd rather watch someone get knocked out. You get the cringe when with the I ankles? see the, something about the ankles because it's really the only injury I've had was like I, I sprained my ankle pretty bad oh, once. Oh, Justin! It's just like they're getting. I like basketball is dangerous enough on the ankles, mm-hmm. but like that is like you might get it trapped in the trampoline. You're coming down hard. You're getting twisted up. Like it's just like. I'm squeamish when it comes to slam ball. I feel like it's nah slam ball. It doesn't do it for me. Fun and what a good time to do it. July, like it's going to be dog days of the summer. Where are they get? Where are they getting these athletes for slam ball? Like, what, are they we just like try calling up old slam ball Maybe. legends and and getting them onto the court? They're like, hitting up the CrossFit gyms. Are they doing open tryouts in Vegas for so. slam ball? Where they just have trampolines? Well, we're going gonna up? be covering it. No, we're not. Big time. I want to get a what team. channel was it on? Well, it. You might not be able to say what channel it was on. It was on Spike. I don't think Spike exists anymore. Well, it'll be on some channels. We'll Advocate to get it on Sportsnet. I, I we'll do our best. I don't know if I can do it. Anyway, there'll be a half-hour TV segments because they're 20-minute 20, 20 games, but we'll try our best to cover it. Um, okay, one quick one here before we take a break. I like this a lot. Uh, Tampa Bay Rays are selling maybe one of the best ticket packages in the MLB this season. Other than, obviously, the Blue Jays' $20 outfield ticks, okay? I was going to say. Other than those. No one's touching the Blue Jays, but the Rays are selling tickets? Well, they're trying. I think this is a really smart idea. So, you can choose between a a $49 package for a month of games... (laughs) <laughs> or imagine, imagine if the Jays offered that 49 well, bucks you could go to any game a month, the month of games or $249 for the season <laughs> standing room only tickets so obviously you're not getting you know behind the home plate but you show up you get the, the they have their own center field porch party deck whatever drinking ledge they have there you don't get a seat but you get to roam around and See, this is this is good. Stepping back into affordable viewing experiences for people <laughs> yeah, out of desperation that play, that play baseball. I will say, if Randy Rosarena didn't sell a bunch of these fifty dollars monthly passes, two hundred and fifty dollars season passes, then there is no hope for the Tampa Bay Rays in terms of the trot being a workable. They're certainly trying their experience. hardest, are they not? <laughs> they are trying their hardest. They got like a, I don't know, I don't know if he's super superstar level, but he's a treat to watch mm-hmm. when he's playing the way he was at the World Baseball Classic. If that doesn't get at least a couple of these sold, there's no hope. 249 bucks to go to any rate, and there's no blackout dates either. I just do that for the convenience factor. Like, if you just go four or five times, even if it's just that, for like, sure. you don't have to get tickets, you're just, you're locked in, you're ready to go. Yeah, I think it's good. Hopefully it helps boost their attendance. Um, all right, we got Brutal. Kipper on the other side of the break. Let's talk about that gross loss, 7-2 to the Islanders. Tropicana-level performance from the Maple Leafs last night. All right. Kipper on the other side.